We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 10 that Charlie read to you. This is a fascinating text to me. This text, verse 13 through 16, always accompanies the story of the rich young ruler. You never start the story of the rich young ruler without the young, dirty children, all right? That, that they're placed together, they're in tandem. That in the first paragraph, you see some people that the disciples don't want because they bring nothing to the table. And yet Jesus rebukes them and says, heaven looks like these guys, leave them alone let him come. And then a guy shows up that nobody has a problem with him because he's rich, he's young, and he's a politician. He's got power. Let's let him in. Jesus says, we can't use you. And so there is a chiasm. Let him come. Show him the door. (laughs) Because of one thing this guy had, because of one thing these kids had, that was the opposite. Just stay with me here. In verse 13, they're bringing children that he can just touch them. Is your kid smart, talented, gifted, all that stuff? That's a well and good. Has Jesus touched them? That's the only thing that's going to last. And so the mothers, the fathers were playing golf And so the mothers brought the, uh, do you know, incidentally, there is never an occurrence in the New Testament of a woman challenging Jesus. Women, it's almost have a guidance system that this guy is no danger to me. They're just attracted to him. Men, we'll continue. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. So the disciples rebuked him because a kid can't bring anything to the table. They're not smart. They're not rich. James Dobson said they're an appetite surrounded by a noise. (laughs) And so Jesus is indignant. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? Permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them. Because he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If you don't accept the kingdom like a child believing what mama tells him and what God affirms nothing in your hand you bring that I pick you up raise you up put me in my lap and pray for you and touch you if you don't do that you're not getting in truly I say who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all No one earns my blessing. I bestow it on empty hands and open hearts. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. He takes, he touches, he raises, he blesses. Sounds familiar. It was your salvation. He took you, he raised you, he held you, he touched you, he blessed you. Well, then there comes up a guy in 17 
that nobody has a problem with. He's a blue chip. He is called in uh, Luke and in Matthew, young. He is called by Luke, extremely rich. And he is called a ruler. He, in a sense, is probably a uh, sidekick of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Paul was being mentored by Gamaliel to rule. This is the next generation that's going to rule. And so he's nothing but potential. Good Jewish boy from a good Jewish home. He's the only guy in the Bible, two things about him, that Jesus looks at him and loves him. It says that. He looks at him and he felt love. And he's the only guy in the Bible that walks away from Jesus grieving. A lot of guys come grieving and leave smiling. This guy comes smiling and leaves grieving. Uh, Ray Stedman had a case that he would present that the rich young ruler was Mark. He felt it was him. Who knows? But it's interesting. And so as he was setting out on a journey, verse 17, a man, and everything about him is just commendable, he ran up to him. He knelt before him. I like him. He makes a request, and he compliments him. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This text is going to be a training of the 12 intimate conversation Christ is going to have. Uh, you see in verse 23, and looking around, he said to his disciples, this is a test case. And what the learning point is, is demographics. What kind of people do we let into the church? And what kind of people do we say, hold the door and let them go? What we're going to see is that we're going to say the door is opened if you come with nothing in your hand but faith. And yet, if you come uh, thinking that you are prestigious, and at this time, wealth and Israel equaled righteousness. They're synonyms. The reason that you are wealthy, unless you're a crook, is that you are a law-abiding Jew. And so, this is a man who has earned the right, and the crowd separates like the Red Sea and they let him come and speak. He is head and shoulders over all of the disciples. He's head and shoulders over Jesus um, socially. And to this guy, he sends away, sends him away. There's a lot of argument against the church over demographics. You know, you guys like to go out and recruit the stellar people to be in your church. Uh, one of the guys on staff belong to a church, that if you were among the leading givers of the church, you got to sit on the stage with the pastor, and they would kind of draw attention to you. And so there's always been that kind of problem about the nature of the people of the church. I want to read you something from a great, great historian named Justo Gonzalez, and he said this, much more difficult to refute 
was the criticism of a number of cultured pagans who had taken the trouble to learn about Christianity in the first century and claimed that it was intellectually wanting. Although it attacked Christianity on numerous accounts, this criticism boiled down to a main point. Christians were an ignorant lot whose doctrines, although preached under a cloak of wisdom, were foolish and even self-contradictory, and this seems to have been a common attitude among the cultured aristocracy for whom Christians were despicable rabble. During the reign of Marcus Aurelius, one such intellectual Celsus wrote a refutation of Christianity called The True Word, and there he expressed the feelings of those who, like him, were wise and sophisticated. Celsus says, in some private homes, we find people who work with wool and rags and cobblers, that is, the least cultured and the most ignorant kind. Uh, Romans considered it a dishonorable thing to have a job, that you let the slaves, of which there were 60 million, you let them work. Before the head of the household, they dare not utter a word. But as soon as they can take their children aside are some women who are as ignorant as they are, they speak wonders. If you really wish to know the truth, leave your teachers and your father and go with the women and the children to the women's quarters or to the cobbler's shop or to the tannery, and there you will learn the perfect life. It is thus that these Christians find those who will believe them. This is especially true of people such as you who lack education and culture and are crude and ignorant. Now, that's how the world felt about us. If you can't succeed in life, just become a Christian. And so, with this in mind, we proceed. This fellow uh, comes to Christ, and he's a good boy, but he's got one problem. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the one problem he's got? He is self-righteous. He is proud of what he has accomplished. He is a proud of his, of his DNA, of his heritage. And so, I've earned it to a place, but I want to ask you a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? No matter how good you are, you need a voice from the outside, from an authoritative judge that will say with definite finiteness, you are saved. Would you all agree with that? There's no use sitting around patting yourself saying I'm going to heaven. Says who? I need God to speak and to say you're clear. And so this self-righteous boy feels there's something I need to do. There is a tradition that among the Jews, it was felt that there was one central thing you could do that would like grant total absolution. Uh, what must we do to work the works of God? This is the work of God, said Jesus, that you believe in him whom God has sent. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What must I do to inherit eternal life? They're always asking that. What's What's the, the ultimate granting, what's the scepter of heaven that I can relax now and not worry about heaven? So, teacher, as good as I am, which we all agree, what am I missing? My heart is not at rest. Jesus 
lifts up the character of God. Why do you call me good? None is good except God alone. The man has a couple of problems here. He has kind of a lower view of Jesus. You're a good teacher. And Jesus said, no one is good but God. He doesn't deny that he is God. He just asserts that only God is good. And you also have a problem with yourself. You throw the term good around too much. The psalmist said, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. And so Jesus just says, what good thing can you do? Answer, nothing, because we're dealing out of the sink of corruptions of your heart. Anything you give to me is tainted. No, you can't do anything to accommodate yourself to God. Now, what would you have done? You would have said, well, what must I do to be saved? Because I'm a sinner. Well, the boy just stands in silence. So Jesus goes from the character of God to verse 19, the law of God, the righteousness of God. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud, which probably is in the place of don't covet, so that you do whatever you have to do in crooked business to make money. And honor your father and mother. He talks on the horizontal things. He doesn't talk about don't take God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath. Those are all things that you can't equate horizontally and visibly. He says, let's look at how you deal with people. What do others think of you? Well, in verse 20, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth up, from the time I was 13, had my bar mitzvah. The, the Zondervan Bible study note says this, the man spoke sincerely because for him, keeping the law was a matter of external conformity as the day. So that the law also required, that the law required inner obedience, which no one can fully satisfy, apparently escaped him completely. Can that ever happen? That was most of us. You going to heaven? Yeah, I think I would. Why? Well, I'm, I'm a good guy. Says who? Says who? And what you were saying, you were looking at the peaks, not the valleys. I haven't murdered anyone. No, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't cheated on my wife. I don't steal. Uh, I have not gone into a swindle and defrauded one of anything. So no, on all the big deals, I'm better than Jeffrey Dahmer, Manson, and David Koresh. Okay, <laughs> I've made the cut, I do believe. Uh, the Apostle Paul was the same way. Listen to this. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I who was circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, 
And as to the righteousness that touches the law, blameless. And Paul wasn't lying. All of those biggies, he had never done any of those. He was meticulous in the keeping of the law. Remember Matthew 5, however? Do not say, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Let me tell you what that means. That means you have never, ever spoken harshly to another human. You've never hated. You have never called him a fool. You've heard it said, you shall not make false oaths. I'm saying to you, you make no oath at all. You don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by the hair on your chin because God makes all the hair on you and God makes Jerusalem and God makes the earth. You're let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond that is evil, that we have to hold you to your word. If you say it, it's done. Have you ever broken your word? You've heard, don't commit adultery. You look at a woman and you've committed adultery in your heart. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Are you with me? Jesus said, let's look down between the, the peaks at the valleys. This was most of you and me too. You've heard me give my testimony. The guy came into my room, asked my roommate, are you a Christian? He said, yes. He said, what's a Christian? Somebody that keeps the 10 commandments and I'm nodding. Okay. And then he says, you keep them. And my roommate goes silent. There was something about that statement that terrified him. And then he said, I don't mean that you just don't commit adultery. Are you a virgin? You've never laid your hand on a future other man's future wife. You have never looked to lust on what belongs to another future child's father. You've never done that. You've never cursed an individual, hated an individual, spoke evil of another individual in his presence. Not only that, you've never thought it. He said the standard, isn't the guy next door, the standard is God Almighty. And all I heard my roommate go was, of which I was doing that too. You know, Listen to this verse, Paul in Romans 7. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. It's a funny statement. I once declared myself going to heaven apart from the understanding of the law. I was once alive apart from the real meaning of the law. But when the commandment came, when God brought to my heart what holiness is, sin became alive and I died. Who's one of the most righteous guys you know of in the Old Testament? Isaiah. He got caught up into the presence of God. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, holy and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. The cherubim cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What did Isaiah do? He said, wait a minute. Get a selfie right here. It's still God. What did Isaiah do? Woe is me. I am undone. I have no strength because I'm a man of unclean lips amidst a people of unclean lips because mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I'm a dead man. 
As a matter of fact, John, Peter, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of them, when they are granted a beatific vision of God, they all fall dead in the presence of God. And so that's what Paul meant. I was once alive just with scripture memory, but when it came home as to what it meant, sin became alive and I realized I'm a sinner. And so Jesus has to bring this young man to the understanding of who God is and who he really is. That's the problem. The kids, I like them. Open arms, bringing nothing in their hand, pick me up, hold me, and bless me. That's how you get saved. But this guy has kept a record on how good he is. But I need to know, is there something I'm missing? Verse 21. If you were Jesus, how would you do this? Would you lecture him? No. He says, looking at him, and this is the only time this is mentioned about anybody in the New Testament. Jesus felt a love for him. This was why Ray Stedman felt this was Mark. Mark, it was felt, looked into his eyes and saw something. He felt a love. This boy is sincere. He's just sincerely wrong. And look at him, he felt a love for him. What does the Bible say? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Before God can bless, God must hurt. The law became alive and I died. God's about to stick an ice pick in this boy's chest. He felt a love and he said, one thing you lack. The Jews believe there was one thing. What must we do to work the works of God that he will be pleased? What must we do? One thing you lack. He doesn't give him another thou shalt not. I don't know about you and I, but I was real good on them shalt nots. It was them thou shalts. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Let's move on ahead. And so he says, one thing you lack, not one thing you did, but there's one thing you're going to have to do, and here it is. You go and sell all you possess. And incidentally, it said that in Mark, he owned much property. Location, location, location. He is extremely rich and he owns land and he is from a propertied family and he has been raised in the law and yet he felt the moral courage as Jesus is now among the Idumeans, I need to cross the Jordan and I need to find out about this guy. I like him. I hope he's saved. And in verse 21, you give to the poor and have treasure in heaven. And you come and follow me. What was it he lacked? Circle the word me. Follow me. You tell me, what was the one thing he lacked? Christ. He needed Christ. 
He needed to have treasure in heaven. He needed to follow Jesus. Now, there's something else unique about this. The answer he gave him, what do I like? The answer was, believe that I have come forth from God and there is none good but God and I am good. You need to believe in me and you need to follow me. But he says something to him as a writer, R-I-D-E-R, as a, a, uh, an addition in the fine print. He never says this to any other man or any other woman. He says it only to him. You don't take this as a standard. Jesus looked inside of his heart and he saw his heart. He felt a love for him. He's polite. He honors older men. He honors teachers. He has moral courage. He's been a good son. He's a good Jew. He's not of the, he's not, some have thought he's being trained for the Sanhedrin. And Jesus looked at him and I thought, he must have thought, this is the next generation. I like this kid. But he's got a problem. He's real impressed with himself. He's rich. Luke simply said, the Pharisees who loved money. At this time, you know, in our country, we're real demure about external shows of religion. Uh, you don't really pray in public noisily. You're quiet. You're silent. I mean, we got a president that will pray without saying God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's humble right there. And so you don't make a big show. But in Israel, you would lengthen your tassels, broaden your phylacteries. And he pointed out the way the rich were putting money in the treasury, smash, making a big show of it. He likes this kid. But righteousness equals position and power. For whose sins was this man made blind? That if you were suffering, you were in sin. So, one thing you lack, it's me. But I want you to do something. All of the stuff that you have accumulated, all of the Sanhedrinistic following that you have done, I need you to get rid of it. I need you to sell it. And then you take the money and don't invest it. You need to give it to all the guys that you have never associated with. And you'll have treasure in heaven because you'll be doing the will of God. Because I'm good. And you need to follow me. And so, nobody else does he say this to. Why? He sees his heart. You have a problem with self-righteousness. And you come to me merely as a good teacher. And you want me to tell you to do something that can secure eternal life. You don't really need a savior, you don't feel. You just need a little further guidance from a smart guy. And so you sell all that you have. It goes like this. Whatever things were gained to me, 
these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung that I might gain Christ. You can have self-righteousness or you can have Christ, but you can't have both. And so to the rest of us, Christ would have merely said, you must confess your sins and that you are a sinner and there is nothing you can do to be saved. And then we'll have a ritual of baptism where you're a dead man and you come to life, okay? And then we'll take you through communion where you'll receive as a symbol Sunday after Sunday the gift of life. To this guy, to this guy, there's a bigger problem. He's got a growth on him, and we've got to excise it. Jesus fights dirty. He doesn't just give him a, another command. He hits him low, and he hits him hard. Get rid of everything that is your life. Get rid of it, and then you follow me. And... Uh, of course, where's he going? Anybody know as to where he's heading to now? Jerusalem. What has he said in the context three times that he's going to do in Jerusalem? Die. And so the thought is, we're going to Jerusalem and you're going to have to take up a cross. And you're not going to need your wealth then because you're about to lose it all. Every bit of it. And all the position that you have held to, you're about to be excommunicated. And so it's going to cost you all that you have built up and all that you're proud about. You've got to get rid of it. Well, in verse 22, Jesus looked, I'm sorry, 22, at these words, he was saddened. If Christ had told him to do something that was a moral excision in his life, he could have done it. But at these, he was saddened and he went away grieving and that's in the present tense. He went home and would have looked at his house. Will a man give up his soul for wealth? I have given up my soul for this pottery, for this land, for this grass out here. He was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, he said, boy, let's have a, an intimate moment right here. And incidentally, I want to show you, this guy, is note is not really a unique guy. Keep your finger there and look at John 12, just before Jesus dies, would you? I could quote this to you, but I want you to see it. In John 12 and verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, now when he says the rulers, what is this young man? A rich, young ruler. 
Many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. For, what's the next word? Fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. I have climbed this hill of prestige. I have gotten my third degree from Beersheba Institute. I just made that up. And here's why they did it. Here's why they said no to Jesus. It was verse 43. Because they loved the approval. You know what the word approval is in Greek? The glory. They loved the applause of men rather than the glory of God. They didn't care what the one voice said in heaven. They had to have the applause around them. And they couldn't. There's no FCA story from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It goes way back about a little bitty skinny kid on the football team that was a Christian carried his Bible wherever he was. A couple of the big guys started making fun of him. You tote that Bible everywhere. Is that thing tattooed on you? Can't you go nowhere without it? Instead, the little guy turned to them and said, you carry it. And they ran from it like it was radioactive. <laughs> no, you can't carry it. You mark yourself as a Christian. And so Jesus looked around and he said, boys, let's learn from this how hard it'll be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom. Now, again, wealth equals righteousness. Wealth equals personal success. Wealth equals uh, that you have obeyed the law. How hard it will be for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. It's hard for these guys. Well, what am I going to do? I'm on minimum wage. Jesus answered again. Remember what the t-shirt says from the chosen? Get used to different. He says, boys, get used to different. Jesus answered again and said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel. A camel is an unclean animal. It chews the cud, but does not divide the hoof. Write that down. And so it's an unclean animal. And we're going to try to get this. Un and incidentally, what do you do with a, a camel? You, you load stuff on it, okay? You're trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. That's what it's like for a guy who is proud of all that he has done to try to get through the narrow way of heaven. And the disciples in verse 26 were more astonished. Incidentally, this is the way your Christian life goes. You continually learn from God who does iconoclasm on you and destroys your little idols. They were more astonished and said, then who can be saved? They're speaking out of their culture. If these righteous men that we all applaud, if they can't be saved, then how's James the less? How's little Jimmy going to get in? How's Simon Peter going to get in? How's Andrew going to get in? And Jesus said, good question. Verse 27, with people, nobody. How do you like to have that answer from your teacher? 
With men, it's impossible. There is no way a human being can get into heaven. Do you remember this conversation? Ye must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. What did Nicodemus say? That, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? How can these things be? Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it's going, where it's come from. So is everyone born of the Spirit. It's a sovereign act of God. With God, it's possible. Men, there is no way that you can get into heaven on your own. What Jesus is preaching here is the nugget of the book of Romans. Humans on their own cannot get their unclean self through the narrowness of what heaven requires. How good do you have to be to go to heaven? As good as God. God is going to have to do it. He's going to have to become a man. He's going to have to live the life. He's going to have to die, rise from the dead. He's going to have to convince you that you need him, bring him to the, you to that point, let you see the awfulness of your sin, the beauty of Christ. He's more than just a good teacher, and you're more than just a good guy. And then as you trust him, you will slip right on in. But it's an act of God. And so, with God, all things are possible. So what is the lesson here? We're done for just a second. Why is this text here? The training of the 12 on demographics. What do we want our parking lot to look like? That's what the Hebrew says right here. What do we want our parking lot to look like? They make that in India, don't they? <laughs> our parking lot is going to be full of common people. It goes like this. Consider your calling, brethren, there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and the weak things of the world God has chosen to shame the mighty, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that think they are in order that no man will boast before God. By his doing, you're in Christ Jesus. He became to us wisdom from God, and he became to us righteousness, and he became to us sanctification, and then he became to us redemption. He's going to raise our body from alpha to omega. It's going to be of God. Are you with me? He doesn't say there's not any mighty according to the flesh. He says there's just not many. John Wesley had a rich supporter. There was a woman that said she got saved by the M. But Jesus didn't say there's not any, just not many. She said, I got saved by the M. So we've got, we've got some very wealthy, smart, educated, successful people here that are not trusting in their acts to save them. Amen? Yes. You ever read the book of... James, about the nearsighted usher? Parable of the nearsighted usher? If a man comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring, dressed in nice clothes, and you pay special attention to him, they sit down over here, or sit in a good place, yeah, yeah. And then there comes in a poor man dressed in dirty clothes, and you say to him, stand over there. If you're going to sit, sit at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? 
Listen, my beloved brethren, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Y'all know when James was written? It's the first of all Christian epistles that was written before the word church was used. It's the word synagogue. When a man comes into your synagogue, it was written before the apostle Paul was converted. And he says, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he bestows. But you've dishonored the poor man. Listen to this. Is it not the rich who oppress you, who personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you are called? Now, Christianity has always been the little guy's religion. And that's how we want to see it. Who will God take? Anybody. As long as you admit to something that the only way you can get in is you've got the mark that God sees on your hand and on your head of the cross. If you don't, you don't get in. Amen? I don't care how many Hall of Fames you're in. I don't care what you drive. What is esteemed by men is deplorable in the sight of God. Be rich. Make money. Give it to me. All right? But don't think that's going to get you into heaven. Are you with me, Doug? I've preached that to you for 30 years. You get in on Christ. Be as successful as you can. My grandson just won the gold medal of the state of Virginia and the shot. As a matter of fact, he set a state record 66 feet and seven and a half inches. That's a long way to throw a lead ball, which is things my family does. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. He got second in the state in discus. My granddaughter is in Waco right now being recruited as a 16-year-old for soccer. She is 16, runs a 4940. I ran a 4940 when I was a college uh, sophomore. She can fly. Our family doesn't do that. And I've got to say to both of them, don't get cocky. God, it doesn't, all that matters is that you worked hard. Oh, that's all that matters. I've got two sons that whenever they go around at any community gathering, Ben told me, all I've got to do is wait and somebody's going to say, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I carry a gun into the United Nations. What? I'm in the Secret Service. How'd you do it? <clears throat> no problem. <clears throat> I say, don't get cocky. Don't get cocky. Any success, and you guys are pretty much a successful people. Don't try to parade it before God. Amen? And whenever you see some old, poor guy peeking in the door that says, man, I sure would like to get in. Some guy from Mississippi, that's where they invented the term toothbrush, otherwise it'd have been a teeth brush. All right. Don't email me.
Let's take communion. Stand up. Thank you. Are you with me? Demographics. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus will take you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You trust me. You come like a child, but you take all of that ballast that you have collected, all of that stuff you have strapped down to your nasty little camel that you're so proud of, and you drop it. You drop it. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. God, let no man leave this congregation this morning grieving, knowing that he gave up heaven for shekels.